Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it's our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We have different gatherings throughout the month. For more info, go to wearesya.com and follow us on Instagram at wearesya. Amen. Welcome to Shepherd Church. I am so glad that you are here with us tonight, and I am so honored to be here with you guys. My name is Adriana Cervantes. You might see me. Those are my friends. I paid them to cheer for me. (laughs) No, you normally see me here leading worship, but I have had the privilege of preaching and teaching to our youth and our young adult for years here at Shepherd. So I'm just so excited to be able to bring this message to you all tonight. So we have been in this series called Kingdom of God where we have been walking through the books of Thessalonians 1 and Thessalonians 2. And tonight, we're continuing that conversation, and we're ending it all talking about kingdom victory. So before we get into this, Chris, who preached this weekend, he shared some crazy stories, and I just have to share it with you guys because I don't want you guys to miss out, okay? So the first story happened in 1957. The British broadcasting company pranked the entire United Kingdom. Not making this up, here's what happened. They did a story on their news about how spring had come early for England and also for all of Europe. And so they said in this story, complete with video footage, that there was a great Swiss spaghetti harvest occurring in Switzerland where spaghetti was being grown. So the footage rolled of people harvesting spaghetti from the trees of Switzerland and preparing it to be distributed and... Here's the thing, much of England fell for it. The BBC was flooded with calls, people asking where they could purchase this spaghetti plant, not making this up. I probably would have been one of those people. I love pasta. Does anybody else love pasta? I would have been like, it's probably not true, but just in case, could I have one? The second story happened in 1962. Swedish national television, they came out and they announced Thanks to new technology, viewers could convert their existing TV sets from black and white to color. All they had to do was pull a nylon stocking over their TV screen, and the stocking mesh would bend the light in such a way that the color image would appear before your eyes. They believed it. Stores were overrun with requests for nylon stockings. And lastly, Taco Bell. Does anybody love Taco Bell in here? Ruby, our host, she loves Taco Bell. So if you want to bless her, Taco Bell. In 1996, Taco Bell took out a full-page ad appearing in six major newspapers announcing that it had bought the Liberty Bell and it was renaming it Taco Liberty Bell. People, hundreds of people outraged, called the National Historic Park in Philadelphia where the bell was housed. The best line of the day came from the White House press secretary. When he was asked about it, he said, oh, well, the Lincoln Memorial has also been sold. It will now be known as the Ford Lincoln Mercury Memorial. Crazy. We know these sound crazy, but people believed the hoax because it takes two to be hoaxed, right? One to conceive of it and one to believe in it. And tonight, that's what we're talking about. So at this point in our journey with the Thessalonian church, they had a problem of apocalyptic proportions. They were afraid that they had somehow missed the second coming. 
You see, they had fallen for a series of messages that were not true. They believed in some hoaxes about Jesus' second coming. And this part of Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church is Paul responding to those fears and to those lies. And there are so many good things that Paul wrote in here for us tonight. So we're just going to walk through the text together, beginning with 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. If you have your Bible, please turn there now. So Paul begins, he says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the, the day of the Lord has already come. So Paul, he's directly addressing here that the false teachings about Jesus' return, they were wrong. You see, people were afraid that they had missed it, and they were wondering, what would that mean for them? Now, I think many of us can empathize with them. I know that I can. When I was young, my teachers had mistakenly allowed us to watch the Left Behind series. Does anyone know that series? <laughs> if you don't, it's a book series that was converted. It was adapted to a movie series in which it shares that true believers had been raptured and others had been left behind. Now, I say that they had made a mistake because I'm not sure if they accurately told us that our salvations were secure or maybe they had and I completely forgot. But after we all had watched the movie, the fear of God was within us. We all were afraid that we were gonna get left behind and it didn't help that summer was right around the corner. I don't know if you see where I'm going with this, but summer is where you sleep in, right? And then you wake up and maybe your family didn't tell you they were gonna go get donuts and the house is empty and you're like, mom? And then you run into the other room and you're like, dad? And then you're weeping, you think you got left behind and your parents come to a weeping child because they thought they got left behind. This is a little bit of what the church is feeling, okay? And Paul is saying, don't be unsettled or alarmed. The word for unsettled here means unhinged, much like I was on that fateful summer morning. Don't be unsettled. Don't be alarmed. It isn't true. And we can read in Jesus, about Jesus' second coming in Revelation 19. And if you read that, you'll see that this is not an event that anybody is going to miss. Paul continues in verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Now, I want to point something out right here because it's very important. Notice, whose responsibility is it on being deceived? The responsibility is on them. Interesting. So Paul continues, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So Paul here, he is assuring them in a way. He's saying Jesus has not yet returned because before he does, there are two things that need to happen. The first indication of Christ's return is the rebellion. Not to be confused with the Star Wars rebellion, although I do love Star Wars. I wasn't a true fan until Grogu came along because I'm a basic girl. Anything turned into a baby, I love it. Dogs become puppies, cats become kittens, Yoda becomes baby Grogu. I love it. But that's not the rebellion Paul's talking about. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but this is a rebellion that is against God, and it's a rebellion like no one has ever seen before. 
The second indication of Christ's return is that this man of lawlessness will be revealed. So Paul describes this man for us as someone who will oppose and exalt himself over everything to the point of being called God or worship. In 1 John, this man goes by another name. It's more well-known, you probably have heard of it, the Antichrist. And Paul is saying, the second coming of the Lord will not occur until this man is revealed. Now, many people reading this passage, they like to scrutinize and argue with each other at Thanksgiving, maybe on Facebook, about who this man of lawlessness could be. But let me assure you, that approaching the scripture in that way tonight is a mistake that has been made for generations. Many leaders in our world's history match the descriptions made by Paul in this letter. Ancient leaders such as the pharaohs of Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Roman emperors such as Tiberius or Nero. Books have been written naming people such as Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin or Putin as the Antichrist. Articles have even been sprinkled in there with some politicians of late. But Paul did not write this portion of scripture as a riddle to be solved by future generations, okay? And approaching the scripture in this way is futile. It's a waste of our time and our focus as children of God. Paul is writing this to assure the Thessalonian church that the second coming has not yet come. And he says, until the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, I love what Chris said this weekend. He said, notice Paul said the man of lawlessness would be revealed and not found out by you and me. So Paul continues, don't you remember when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what's holding him back, the man of lawlessness so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. He says, while the man of lawlessness has not been revealed, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work on the earth. Okay, what is this lawlessness? It's sin. Lawlessness refers to any wicked and disobedient living. In fact, 1 John tells us that anyone who denies Jesus has the spirit of the Antichrist. So these Christians in the first century, they were on the lookout for this one evil leader, and they became distracted, no longer realizing that the spirit was already active on the earth and that they needed to be aware. And that's not just a them problem, right? I think the greatest scheme of the enemy is not to get you to no longer believe in Jesus. I think the greatest scheme of the enemy is to get you distracted from what really matters, which is Jesus. Amen. How many of you know we can be distracted? We can be distracted people. It's one thing to be aware, right, of what's going on in the world. It's another thing entirely to be consumed by what's happening in the world, in the economy, wars around the world, cultural conflicts, so much so that those things become your gods. 
They become your idols because they're taking your affection, your devotion, your focus. These things, they're important, but they are not the most important thing. Our lives do not rest upon these things. And as believers, we need to trust that if God brought you through today, he can handle tomorrow, right? There's hope in our God. And now we've gotten to the great spoiler alert of this letter, which, like, this is the only spoiler alert I like, by the way, so please don't come ruin any shows for me. The spoiler alert is in verse 8. Paul says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. What a beautiful scripture. The lawless man that we all just freaked out about a little bit. I don't know if you're being honest with yourself. I'm sweating. We just freaked out about him. He will be overthrown by the breath in Jesus' mouth, by the splendor of his coming. I love that. By his very breath, not by his punch, not by his sword, by his simple breath alone, destroyed. As Chris said this weekend, Jesus may have rivals, but he has no equals. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. I don't know what you're going through, but Jesus may have rivals. He has no equals. That's our God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So Paul continues in describing this lawless man for us in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders to serve the lie that he's God. In all the ways of wickedness, deceiving those who are perishing. So Paul is telling them, hey, he's going to deceive you in two ways. The first is through displays of power. The second is through ways of wickedness. So there, those are tools that the enemy uses for us too, today. But we often miss it. We often miss how the enemy uses this tool in our life because we're focused on a lot of other things like when is the second coming happening or we're distracted by the latest news reports. But these are tools the enemy uses daily. The allure of power, it is difficult to resist. We all know that. But what about the ways of wickedness? Many ways of wickedness mentioned in the Bible are ways that we chase pleasure. And chasing pleasure can be destructive. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I'm just following my truth, right? Or somebody say, well, I'm just doing what feels good to me. I'm not hurting anybody else. I'm just doing what's right to me. But the last time that I checked, there is one way, there is one truth, there is one life, and according to John 14, 6, his name is Jesus. Amen. So this man of lawlessness, he's going to use displays of power and ways of wickedness to deceive people. And then verse 10, Paul says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Do you remember what I said at the beginning of this message that it takes two parties to be hoaxed? 
So Paul said, they perished because they refused to love the truth. He didn't say that they didn't know the truth. He said they didn't love the truth. David says to the Lord in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Has anybody ever been in love in this room? When you love something, it becomes part of you. You can't help but meditate on it day and night. James even said in James 2.19, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Because it is not enough to just know what is true. You need to love it. It needs to consume you. It needs to guide you. It needs to counsel you. It needs to be your way of life. And Paul says, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that they will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. I know some of you right now, you just heard me say that and you pressed the brakes real hard. You were like, whoa, Cervantes, <laughs> that's a lot. God sends a delusion, a delusion, so that they believe the lie. Please stick with me, please stick with me. First, we need to note that these people already refused the Lord. They already refused him. And second, this is not far off from other scriptures we read in the Bible. In Romans, Paul writes several times that God gave people over to their own desires. Why? Free will, right? Free will. I don't know if you knew, God is a gentleman. He never forces himself on anyone. He never forces anyone to love him or to enter into a relationship with him. He doesn't cause them to reject the truth, but instead he gives them over to what they ask for. God only sends the delusion to those who already refuse to believe in the truth and continue to delight in wickedness. And lastly, this has not happened yet. This is not now. We serve a God who is patient and loving. Scripture said he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come into repentance. So he is still waiting. But when the time comes, he will let them believe what they want to believe. Verse 13, he says, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is shifting here, thank goodness, because that was intense for a little bit. Everybody take a deep breath. <laughs> He's shifting here because he knows that was a lot to swallow for the Thessalonian church. So he's encouraging them to not be afraid of what they hear, just aware. He is encouraging them to not be dismayed by what they hear, but instead to be called by what they hear. He is reminding them of their identity. He is reminding them that they are a chosen people, that they are a loved people, loved by the one who destroys the enemy with merely his breath, saved and secured by the sanctifying work 
of the Holy Spirit. And he reminds them that they are victorious with Christ, right? He ends by saying that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of God's great love for us, we are not dismayed people. Because of God's love for us, we are not fearful people. Need we be reminded that we share in the glory of the victory of Jesus. His victory is our victory, and if he said it, it will happen. So how do we do this? That's the question. How do we remain strong in these times? How do we remain faithful? How do we share in the victory with Christ? What's our strategy? I'm glad you asked. There are three strategies laid out for us in the rest of this passage. Starting in verse 15, Paul says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Our first strategy is stand firm and hold fast to the teachings of Scripture. This is so important. This is so important. Because this is how we discern what is true. This is how we discern who the real Jesus is because you cannot notice the lie unless you know the truth. You cannot notice the counterfeit unless you know the real deal. The lawless man and the enemy, they operate in deception. That's their main weapon. I gave that to you for free. And Paul tells us in Colossians 2 to see that no one takes us captive through deception. And there are so many things in our world today that are claiming to be like Jesus and that are claiming to be of God that are not. But you wouldn't know that unless you knew what God was like. How can you know his ways? Well, he wrote them all down in this book. You study the real thing so you can clearly see the lie when it comes. We know this, right? This is logical. They use this with counterfeit bills. In order for the counterfeit to be effective, it needs to be close enough to the real thing as possible but just a little off, right? Um, I have some money with me tonight. I'm rich. Mom, I'm rich now. But these are counterfeit. And if you were up close, you'd be able to tell that. They feel different. They look just a little different. And federal agents, they don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying counterfeits. They study the genuine bills until they master the look, the feel of the real thing. And then when the counterfeit comes along, they recognize it immediately. They recognize the hoax. And many people, they're deceived by the counterfeit because they have not spent time studying the truth. And this is the truth. Not that Instagram post, right? Not that podcast that sounds truthy. No, we need to hold fast to actual scripture so that we have true discernment of what is good and what is true. 
Second, we stand firm and we hold fast to scripture because it's the way that we overcome the enemy. Jesus will overcome the lawless man with what? His breath, right? Well, 2 Timothy 3 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. Our weapon against all lawlessness and deception is the word of God. And Jesus modeled that for us perfectly. In his temptation in the wilderness, while Satan was tempting Jesus, Jesus quoted the word of God to disarm every single lie the enemy had. This Bible isn't just a book that we pick up once in a while when we're going through hard times. This is the very word of God. This is the lamp unto your feet. It should guide every action. It should guide every thought that you hold on to. We should be reading this daily. Romans 12 tells us, don't conform to the world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind with the word. It says, only then will you be able to test and approve what God's will for you is in your life. Do you wanna know God's will? Right, do you wanna know God's will for your family? Do you wanna know God's will for your career, for your relationship? Read the word of God daily. Reflect on the passages that you read. Get a study Bible, get in a life group. Dive deeper, listen to the word of God on your way to work, memorize scripture. Let the truth consume your mind so that you can withstand the enemy and most importantly, know the Lord. The Bible is God breathed. And as Chris said this weekend, the breath of God overthrows the enemy. Amen. Our second strategy is praying for the message of the Lord to spread rapidly and be honored. In verse one of chapter three, Paul says, as for other matters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it is with you. Like I said before, the greatest scheme of the enemy is not to get you to no longer believe in Jesus. The greatest scheme of the enemy is to distract you from what really matters. And we know what really matters. That people know about our amazing Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know we worry about so many things in our lives. We worry about what others think about us. We worry about what we do. We worry about amounting to something of significance. We worry about good things even. Our families, our futures, our children, our health. But how often do we worry about people's salvation? I remember one of the times, the first times that I spoke at a camp for middle school students. I was backstage watching hundreds of middle schoolers worship the Lord. And there were so many thoughts going through my mind. I was, I was so nervous, you guys. I'm not even going to pretend to lie. I was so nervous. So many thoughts were going through my mind. I remember worrying about what I was wearing, if it was okay. I remember worrying about if I was going to be funny enough. I remember worrying about if they were going to be able to relate to me. I remember worrying about if some people in that room would think I shouldn't be up there. But I didn't let that stop me. I preached through the fear. And after a message, a young girl came up to me and she sweetly and timidly handed me a drawing. And it was of me. 
and I have it here, I laminated it. She got every single detail right. I don't know if she was in the front row. She has good eyesight, she had binoculars. She got my hair, my necklaces that I was wearing, my earrings. She got the tiny writing on my shirt that isn't readable from when you're right in front of me. She got my Mexican eyebrows. She got everything. And then at the top, she had four letters. He is for me. That was my message that night. My message was about how Jesus was for them. And I could have let every single one of those things distract me from the most important thing. And I could have missed the opportunity of telling that little girl that Jesus was for her. But she didn't see any of the things that I worried about. She only saw Jesus is for her too. My friends, it is time that we worry about things that matter in light of eternity. Will what I wore, will what I wore today matter in light of eternity? Unfortunately, no. Will who I tell about Jesus matter in light of eternity? Yes. So who are you investing in? Who are you sharing Jesus with? Who are you inviting to church, inviting to your life group? Who do you know that needs to be here next week? Because if you ask God to partner with you to reach someone for Christ, that's a prayer God will always say yes to. So pray for the message of the Lord to be spread rapidly. And then our final strategy is stay focused on God's love and Christ's perseverance. This is in verse five. He says, may the Lord direct your heart into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Paul prays this because the Thessalonians, they were going through very hard times. They were going through real trials. And I don't know about you, but when you're going through difficult times, it is easy to evaluate God's love for you based on what you're going through. It is easy to let your circumstances define God rather than letting God define your circumstances. Hear me, do not let the enemy convince you that God is no longer worth trusting. Do not let the enemy convince you that God is no longer good. Do not let your circumstances define God. Let God define your circumstances. Romans 5.8 says, hey, God demonstrated his own love for you in this, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That is the perseverance referenced in this verse for us. His perseverance in his death and resurrection for you and for me. Pray that the Lord directs your heart into God's love and persevere like Christ. Chris shared this incredible story this weekend that I want you guys to hear tonight. It's the story of John Stephen Akari. 
John Stephen Aquari represented Tanzania in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City as a marathon runner. Now John was the last to finish, but he was an entire hour after the 56th competitor crossed the finish line. And here's why. Around the 19th mile of the race, John had taken a bad fall and he was bloodied, bandaged, and running with a dislocated joint. When the American press asked him why he didn't just withdraw from the race after the fall, this is what he said. My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. Some of you tonight may feel discouraged. Some of you tonight may feel dismayed. Some of you may feel exhausted. You may feel bloodied. You may feel broken. But let me encourage you with this truth, that God did not send you here to merely start the race. God sent you here to finish it. This life with Christ, it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. So we need to pace ourselves. We need to train ourselves in righteousness and in truth. And our God, our great, loving, powerful God will give us everything that we need to finish this race. I'm gonna pray, but before I do, I wanna encourage you that after I pray, we are gonna have decision counselors over here. Some of you, need to come along someone else and be prayed for. You need to talk with other people about how to bring your trials and bring what you're going through to the Lord. I pray right now that you would be emboldened by the Spirit of God. Some of you need to take a step of faith and be baptized tonight. You need to say, I'm not just starting the race, I'm finishing it and I'm finishing it right with Jesus. If that's you after I pray, come forward, don't walk, run. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your power. Thank you that you are strong enough that the enemies that we fear and that make us tremble, you destroy them with your breath. You are creator of the universe. You breathed everything into existence. And we worship you, God, and we glorify you in this house tonight. I pray for my friends, Lord. I don't know what they're going through, God. I don't know what they brought tonight. Holy Spirit, but you do. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would embolden people who need to come forward. Embolden those who need to take a next step. Embolden those who need prayer, Jesus because we need you, Lord. We need your guidance and we need your truth to live this life that you has called for us. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your life, for your resurrection, that we now share in the victory of Christ and that now we are victorious alongside you, Jesus. Would that reality hold us through this next week? And would each of us feel convicted to share 
about our powerful Savior to those around us. It is in your name, Jesus, that we all pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.